So we're back in the book of Acts and we've been looking at the first church. Now you might be surprised to find out that the very first big problem that they faced was an administrative one. and haven't been with us through the book of Acts so far, here's a quick summary. About 2,000 years ago, there was a guy by the name of Jesus. And about the time he was 30 years old, Jesus began teaching everyone in Israel a vision of what the world could be. He claimed to be the Son of God and told everyone that God's dream for this world is a place where every human being is loved and respected. I mean, everyone, including the poor and the prostitutes and the people who are marginalized in society everyone. Throughout his three years of public teachings, he performed miracles and even predicted that he was going to be put to death, but to come back to life three days later. So as he predicted, Jesus was nailed to the cross and bled to death on Good Friday and rose again on Easter Sunday. So when Jesus rose from the grave, it turned a lot of heads. A lot of people who didn't take Jesus seriously began to lean in and ask questions once they saw him walking around with holes in his hands. Now, prior to his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus poured out most of his time into developing a group of guys called the Disciples, which later they changed their title to Apostles. So you could imagine crowds of people bombarding the Apostles with questions. I mean, they didn't have all the answers, but they knew that their job was to create a community God wanted, and so the church was born. The book of Acts is a narrative told by Luke, who is an ancient doctor slash historian who chronicles for us the birth of the church. In the first four chapters of the book of Acts, the church is described as a community where each member is generously supporting one another so they had no needs. Think of this community as like a big family. Everything seemed to be going really well, and this new thing called church was very attractive to the people, especially people who are on the outside looking in. But in chapter 5, we see a couple who tried to infiltrate the church by bringing with them a ranking system. They wanted to take advantage of the prototype heaven-on-earth movement so they could rise up the ranks and control the church for themselves. But in an instant, they were shut down. They both dropped dead, which was a very weird and unfortunate thing. Now, Luke, he took this as a sign as God saying, look, I'm starting this new thing called a church here, and it's going to change the world. And I'm not going to let some power-hungry people ruin it just as it's getting off the ground. Anyways, the point there is that the problem was resolved even before it took root in the church. But today... We're looking at Acts chapter 6, and in chapter 6, we're going to start seeing this perfect community start to show its flaws. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Okay, so the church is growing. And one of the unique features is the fact that there are people of diverse backgrounds that are joining this movement. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but the church was originally created by a bunch of Jewish men. Sure, there were some non-Jews in the group also, but the majority were Jews. And in this verse, Luke tells us that there were subgroups of Jews in the church. There was the Hebraic Jews and there was the Hellenistic Jews. So who are these people? So several hundred years before this story takes place, Israel went through something called an exile. A bunch of barbarians like the Assyrians and the Babylonians came in and they took many Jews out of their homeland. And after a long period of time, when they were given the option to return to Israel, some stayed in their foreign land and others decided to come back. Now, the ones who came back were called the Hebraic Jews. These are the ones who prided themselves in being true to God. 
and the ones who stayed in the foreign land were called Hellenistic Jews. While they kept their identity as Jews, they adapted to the foreign land's language and culture. Now, it's also important to note that these two different types of Jews, it was common practice to travel to Jerusalem when they grew old so that they can be buried close to the temple as possible. And usually, men died first. So this left many women to become widowed with no one to look after them. If these widows had children, they would normally take care of their widowed mother. But as it turns out, people who identify with a new movement called the church were often abandoned by their families. So now it was up to the church to take care of these widows. Luke tells us that the Hellenistic Jews were being neglected. Now, most scholars agree that this was not done on purpose. The fact of the matter was that there were more Hebraic Jews in Jerusalem at the time, so they automatically did everything they could to meet the needs of the majority of widows, which meant that the minority widows, which are the Hellenistic Jews, who spoke different languages and had different customs, they were often left to care for themselves. So Luke tells us that the apostles found out about this. Jesus taught them that every single human being, whether if they stay true to Israel or not, has value. So they had to find a solution. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Okay, it's important to note that the attitude of the apostles is not, oh man, taking care of old ladies is so beneath us. <laughs> no, no, no. Rather, these 12 men were the ones who spent the most time with Jesus when he walked the earth. So they had a unique task that only they could fulfill. Only they could teach what Jesus taught. See, these apostles, they had a sense of urgency. They didn't know how many more years they had. They didn't know how many more years Peter had before he was executed, John before he was sent off to this island of Patmos, James before he was killed. I mean, already in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, the apostles were captured, they were put on trial, they were almost killed. So they needed to keep focus on, on passing on whatever Jesus passed on to them. So knowing that they had a very unique role in the church, they had to come up with a solution, which is the next verse. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So let's keep in mind that at this point in church history, there's no such thing as a nonprofit organization called the church. They don't have a worship leader. They don't have a Sunday school teacher or a finance team. Everything that happened in the church was because apostles had their hand in it. So they had a whole host of things that they had to do, amongst which is the most important thing they had to do, which is to pour out whatever Jesus poured into them. Oh, and to pile on top of that, we can't assume that the apostle had any leadership training. I mean, before they became apostles, there were fishermen, zealots, tax collectors. It started with a few dozen people and all of a sudden there's hundreds of people and they are trying to lead all of them. So as you can imagine, they're getting stretched pretty thin. So in the next verse, let's see how everybody reacted to this decision. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Teman, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, if you look at the names of these seven men, they're all Hellenistic names. They were tactful in bringing onto leadership Hellenistic Jewish men because these guys understood the widow's language and culture. And since they're men, they're allowed to work in Jerusalem because that was a culture back then, and they could earn a wage and share their earnings with these women. Now, the most interesting part of this story is coming next. So imagine if you were Luke and you're writing this story and you're seeing that this plan is unfolding before you and it's, everything's working. What would you write next? Wouldn't you think that Luke wrote, and so all the Hellenistic Jewish widows in the church were fed and taken care of and they lived happily ever after the end. 
right? But that's not what it says. This is what Luke records for us. So the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Wait, 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 what's that? Yeah, Luke didn't tell us how the widows were doing. Instead, they said that the result of these seven men caring for these widows led to the spread of this movement. And one of the highlights is that a bunch of priests joined the movement. And that this is a huge deal. You see, these priests were the same people who arrested, unfairly tried, falsely accused, and crucified Jesus. So on one hand, we have these widows being taken care of by these seven men. And on the other hand, we have Jesus' greatest enemies, joining the church, which means that these men are putting their job security on the line. And Luke saw a correlation between these two things. One caused the other thing to happen. You see, the seven, they thought that they were just feeding and taking care of widows. But what Luke tells us is that what they were actually doing was allowing the apostles to do what needed to be done. And for that reason, they were contributing to the conversion of these priests. They were contributing to a bigger picture. I'm sure one day the apostles realized that they needed to delegate the responsibility of caring for children of the church. And while from the outside, it may look like a bunch of babysitters in the church, in reality, they were in some way contributing to the expansion of heaven on earth. And I totally get this because I think this is true for Westlight also. Imagine if I had to pick out songs, play the guitar, lead our congregation in musical worship. First, well, you won't like it because I can't sing, but it would take me away from the task that God has called me to do. Like, here's an example. Now, I don't know if you know this, but years ago, I mean, like way before the pandemic began, I used to have these unexplainable, intense pains in my abdomen. I mean, I'd been to a doctor several times and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And it seemed to only happen on the weekends. Sometimes it happens on Saturday nights, Sunday mornings before church or Sunday right after church. I mean, it happened so often that my medical bills were starting to pile up. And because it only happened on weekends, Val suspected that it was probably related to stress from all that I was doing for the church. I mean, I used to stay up all night on Saturdays, making sure my sermons were fine-tuned. Then after sleeping for about four hours, I head over to the school auditorium two hours prior to the service even beginning. Then I would start setting up. Then immediately after, I would go outside and greet the people entering the school, then preach the sermon, then do my best to interact with every single person there while tearing down the screens, the projectors, the microphones, etc. And usually Lori and I were the last to leave the school. Now, I don't want you to take this the wrong way because there were a lot of people who were helping out at the time. It's just that my mindset was set on that I had to do everything by myself because it was my responsibility. And through that time, quite frankly, I wasn't really sure if I was being effective at what I was called to do. So I began to delegate those responsibilities to other people. Daniel became the person who came to church first to set up. By the time I arrived, most of the setup was finished. I was able to focus and making sure that my slides were in order and attend the morning prayer group so they could pray over me. Now, my trips to the ER didn't go away overnight, but gradually the pain did go away. So in a way, while Daniel isn't giving the sermon, his willingness to set up, organize, and lead the worship team is indirectly allowing the sermon to be preached. And while the hosts are greeting and helping the congregation feel welcome, they too are participating in the sermon. Same goes for the kids' zone teachers, those who bring food to church, those who set up and tear down, sweeping the floors, wiping down tables, and those on the prayer team. Okay, side note, I don't want you to think that the sermon is the epitome of church. It definitely is not. I'm just using this as an example because I personally benefited from the Acts chapter 6 type of community. Now, I personally believe that the most important part of our church is you, the people who give our community character, personality, and depth. People come and stay at our church because they can't get enough of you. 
And if me giving a sermon on a Sunday morning can somehow contribute to that, you know, our community, then I will continue to do my best at preaching sermons. Or if my sermons can somehow help create a deeper dialogue in your life group, then I'll keep on preaching. Okay, the point is we are all in this together because every single person in the church is connected to each other. What I do or don't do affects each of you. And likewise, what you do and don't do affects me. It's kind of like we're a singular body with many parts. Like, I don't know, like a body of Christ or something. In Acts chapter six, there was a small group of widows that were being neglected and the apostles knew that their entire church is suffering because of the few who were not being cared for. They understood that we all have to do our part to achieve a goal that is greater than any single task. So church, may you continue to contribute your skills and talents to this church. And may God increase the strength and numbers of our church as we work together to meet the needs of one another. And may we all experience heaven together. God bless.